Welcome to Franchise Fan Guys. This is our second episode on the Die Hard franchise. I'm Tom Bryce Ogle, joined with Andy Schmidt and Skid Mar. How about you guys say hi? Uh, hey everybody, I'm uh, I'm Andy, and I'm here to talk about Dying Hard. Hey, I'm Skid, and I'm just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Franchise Fan Guys. Well, this first question, it's all about John McClane. Who is he in the first film, and did audiences fall in love with him or the concept of the film? What do you think of how the character changes or evolves in the five films? I think the character of John McClane represents kind of a turning point for action movies of this period because one of the defining features of movies like, mostly like the Schwarzenegger type stuff, you know, Commando, and was the characters, the protagonists are getting way more and more over the top, invincible, uh, infallible, where it started to get ridiculous. And it was, it was, it was always the same thing. It's like as one person taking a one man army, taking on dozens and dozens of goons and maybe at the end, like ah, getting shot in the shoulder. And, and that was pretty much it. Whereas John McClane is, the, uh, an attempt to bring action into something more, a little more grounded. So he's he is fallible. He's a guy who I think McTiernan says doesn't really like himself very much. He is someone who can be injured. He's a guy who makes mistakes. He's a guy who says the wrong thing at the wrong time. You know, to his wife. You know, it's like you can see like the relationship that he has with the Bonnie Bedelia. So I think that that more than anything, as, as great as as tight as the script is, as as great as the action is, I think that is the thing for me that really makes Die Hard special is John McClane and uh, and his humanity as as contrasted to the other his other uh, brethren of the time. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna agree with all of that, except <clears throat> except I would just like Skid to see if he could name a single movie starring Sylvester Stallone or Schwarzenegger in which what he said about a one man army, infallible and invincible, is actually true because those nuanced performances <laughs> from the 1980s. <laughs> Uh, are the epitome of humanity. And it's the reason it took 30 more years for Scorsese to finally win his Oscar was because he had to compete with those tight, well-refined <laughs> films of the 80s and 90s. That's true. It really, I guess it really shouldn't, it, it's hard to match them up against those great Merchant Ivory action movies from uh, the early 90s, but <laughs> nonetheless. Uh, um so so it's funny too because you're talking about the one man infallible who only gets a scratch and uh for me after watching these the first movie that comes to mind is a good day to die hard and live free or die hard because those <laughs> are exactly I that i know um, it, it goes it whiplashes it goes back the other way it's so funny <laughs> so uh but i i would i would agree with that um you know the fact that bruce willis wasn't a movie star yet um this was only his second film, I think, right? Blind Date uh, came third. out. Third. There's Blind Date and one other one, but but yeah. So this this was the 
and this was certainly his first action role. Yeah. Um, but what what's interesting about casting him, which may have been partially a, a budgetary concern, you know, like I'm, I don't know that the you know the budget on Die Hard wasn't massive, but um, you know, you don't go in with a lot of like you know how he is. Like Bruce Willis in a movie today is pretty much plays Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's pretty rare that he plays a character that's kind of off type like he did in like death becomes her or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that he had the ability at that time to not play tough guy, Bruce Willis. Um, even though this is maybe the movie that kind of led down that path that eventually went there. But, yeah. Cause he was a comedy guy like coming into this. Right. That's how people, most people saw him. Yeah. And I think the, the fact that he is scared throughout uh, mm-hmm. The first Die Hard, that he is doing everything he can to get somebody else to solve this situation. He's trying to call the fire department. He's trying to get the attention of the police, the FBI. Like, he is not trying to get involved. He knows he can't just walk away because, A, he's trapped, and, B, his wife is in there. So, like, he's he's invested in sort of seeing it through. But, but like, at no point in, the, in that Die Hard does he throw himself into a dangerous situation for no good reason. Right. Or, um, you know, and he's actively like trying to avoid, he spends most of this movie hiding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's great. It's great. <laughs> and it's, yeah. And it's really good. And it's, and it's, it, it really is. It's one of the, it, 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 it did. I didn't think about it that way, Skip, but when you say it represents a turning point, I think you're right in that it, in that, um, in the, you know, the, the action films of the day were, certainly what what you describe but but this one was just sort of like hey can we do this can we make an action movie for adults that actually is kind of worthy of their attention intellectually and not just in terms of explosions and things there's there's this one there's this one like it really is it's like it's like three seconds maybe of commando that like sums up what i feel about and it's and it doesn't have any dialogue. There's a moment towards the end of Commando with Schwarzenegger, <laughs> where he's like going through some compound, I think, and there's like there's there's like military mercenary people like all over the place, and he's just like <laughs> walking through a court uh, yard with an M16, and at one point he just like shrugs to the left and pulls the trigger on the M16, and like three shots go off, like. and then it just cuts the slow motion of three guys just getting. Like shot by like forty bullets in slow motion and like falling to the ground and screaming and to me that was just like yeah I mean that was that's a nineteen eighties action movie where like he can just like pull a gun out and just shoot in the air and the bullet will find a target right um, <laughs> right <laughs> they, they were using smart bullets way ahead of their time I know uh, it's like Runaway the uh, Tom oh, Selleck yeah, movie yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a nice uh, deep cut there. Yeah, <laughs> I bet you didn't think it'd be brought up today, but we, uh, boy howdy, I was determined. We didn't, we didn't want to announce that that's our next franchise. <laughs> no, no, don't want to spoil it for all the people waiting. <laughs> um, but yeah, just that, that that humanity and what what bothers me about Die Hard as a franchise is that it de- defined that character. So what that type of storytelling in in adult action movies so well and it was so popular and that character disappears i argue as early as the first sequel 
Yeah. Because, it, because in Die Hard 2, he's never scared. He's supremely confident. He's a total ass, but in a different way. He's an ass in the first one because of his flaws. Like, he's an ass to his wife. He's... Most of the humor comes from the situation and from his, like, constant state of panic. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, but he's not, like, trying to be funny and he's not, like, putting people down all the time. Like, he's he's annoying to Hans Gruber because he's trying to get under his skin. So, it, like, all of that stuff, like, makes sense from a story standpoint. And in Die Hard 2, he's this cocky jerk who really is kind of messing things up. Um and yet, somehow, a couple of people like sort of take to him and are like, "Well, I'll help you out." Instead of the military, or instead <laughs> of the airport police, the guys that I have known for however long I've worked here, instead I'm going to go with McLean. But all of those that he's not hiding, he's really he's actively undermining other other people that are trying to help. Like, like he is terrible in that whole movie. Also, he would have been killed instantly when he took the blanks and started shooting at the police captain. I know that was like, you don't do that. Right. You don't just start shooting. It's a good good cinematic (laughs) moment. Like, like it's almost forgivable, but it's not really, it is Um, a cool moment, but yeah, that's like, come on in an airport police station. You're just going to open fire. Yeah, this these were these were pre nine eleven days where you could just you could open <laughs> you fire could at that. airports and it was fine. I said that a few times while watching this. Um, I was like, "Ooh, that's a pre nine eleven scene." Like in so many of these movies, you just wouldn't do that, and especially part two, the airport one. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, part part three also, which is all in yeah. New York and down in right. Wall Street, and yeah, uh, yeah. Some of that stuff doesn't age great. Um, (laughs) but you know, that character is a little bit back in Die Hard three. It skews a little bit closer to the original John McClane in three, but it's, but it's, it, it, he's, he still feels like a very different character. And so I've said to friends, probably, probably skid, I've said to you before that there's only one movie that John McClane is actually in. And then the rest are, are movies with Bruce Willis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really kind of the way that I, that I feel about it, which is interesting because that first movie is kind of what defined like the Bruce Willis persona. And then Mm -hmm. it sort of morphed into this, this, you know, always bigger, always badder, always more of a jerk, always cockier. Like it just gets amplified kind of almost with each movie until you get to a good day to die hard where he's taking on Russia, (laughs) taking on Russia. (laughs) (laughs) You know what happens? It's kind of take on Russia. <laughs> Nothing good. <laughs> not not usually. It's funny. It follows kind of the same arc as Rocky, the character of Rocky, because he started out very vulnerable, you know, very fallible in the first movie. And then his character gets ramped up in the same way to become more and more over the top to the point where he's fighting Russia in his fourth movie. <laughs> So do you guys think John McClane is why people kept coming back? Or do you think the plot of the movie is why people kept coming back? That's a tough one. I mean, I think, I think it is John McClane, right? I mean, because without John McClane slash Bruce Willis, like the, the, the combination, right. Then, then they're not diehard movies at all. So I think it's like, I think it's the love of that first one because for, for like a generation of people, that movie was so 
beloved, right? That like there's a new Die Hard movie and I'm interested. When so even when a good dated Die Hard came out, which I did not bother to see in the theater, but even when I heard about it, I was like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> tell me more. And then I saw like the trailer, and I was like, "Okay, stop talking." But, <laughs> but the fact that it was a Die Hard movie always piques my my interest because there is that hope, like, "Oh, they'll, maybe they'll get it. Maybe they'll go back to the core of what this thing is, and maybe it'll be really good again." The way that um, like Rocky Balboa does, right? That's the one right after mm. Five, Rocky Five. Right? Uh, yeah. Or not yeah. right after, it's years later. But but Rocky Balboa was sort of like, hey, we recognize that we kind of lost track of the heart of what this thing is. And it was an attempt to get back to it. And I think Rocky Balboa is a pretty interesting movie. And yeah, it, Rocky Balboa and then uh, Creed. And then Creed. Uh, following up with it. It's like, yeah, it's like back to basics and uh, great. Like, I love those movies. Yeah, I think Creed is probably my favorite Rocky movie now. Yeah, same. Totally. Yeah, yeah but so I think I think it is the fact that we you know, that so many people loved, love McLean and wanted to see that character in, in those types of situations. I wouldn't divorce that concept out of it. Although the franchise does, right. I mean, the 40 stories of sheer adventure kind of goes out the window. They kind of play lip service to it and die hard too. Like he's sort of like trapped in an airport, even though he can leave. Um, (laughs) and then in die hard with a vengeance, it's like the whole city. Mm -hmm. You can't leave the city except that eventually Mm -hmm. he does. And then, uh, then they just they just do away with that entirely, which is weird. It's weird because <laughs> you know again, it seems like it's integral to Die Hard, but, um, but yeah. So that's my answer. I do think people come back for for him, but I think when when you give us four movies after this one that don't really have that character, then there's a reason that those ticket sales fall off. I remember growing up, some of my friends whose parents were like really young parents who like had my friends when they were teenagers, they loved John McClane. And like, he was like the blue collar, James Bond, like working man's Ethan mm-hmm. Hunt. Like, I think that's what I remember being some, him being a character that friends, parents loved to quote and talked about. And he just, I feel like people loved him. Even if he changes in the other ones, I think people still uh, remember him from the first one. I don't know. Yeah, it's. I think he's kind of like Axel Foley a little bit uh, from Beverly Hills yeah. Cop, in that they're both kind of in the Bugs Bunny mold, where they're both like wisecracking big city guys who really love to get under the skin of their of their antagonists. And uh, I love that model. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm such a sucker for that. Like I I I just it really it's so easy to win me over with that. That wisecracking uh, New Yorker or Detroiter in Axel Foley's case, like I love that. It's so funny to me. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. No fucking shit, lady. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Alan Rickman played Hans Gruber in the first film, and it was an exceptional performance. How did Rickman's performance and the character of Gruber differ from action villains of the time? Uh, well, I think it also represented a turning point. Um, because you easily could have cast somebody more physically menacing. Um, but instead, you know, Alan Rickman is this sort of, he is the opposite of John McClane, who is that blue collar, uh, character. Alan Rickman plays this slick, well-dressed, 
well planned out. Like, I mean, the entire movie of Di- the first Die Hard, like Bruce Willis or McLean is flying by the seat of his pants, whereas Alan Rickman has a plan and he has backup plans and he has backup plans for his backup plans. Um, and he's his menace comes from his intelligence and the fact that he is the one that remains calm. And so, you know, when um, when um, Carl is like freaking out when his brother dies, you know, Alan Rickman's the one that that kind of pins him to the wall and says, calm down, we'll get there. But there's a plant, you know, like in that, even though that's not like a terrifying action, it's terrifying when you realize that this guy is smarter than you. Yeah. And he's. And he's got a plan. He's had time to think all of this through and he is ruthless at the same time. And so he, he kind of defined that villain for action films that again has provided sort of this template from then, from then on. Uh, And, and, and works really well with, with John McClane. I mean, you, you, I mean, if you just the idea of Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman starring in a film together, <laughs> I find kind of ridiculous. And I don't mean that to take anything away from Bruce Willis, who who does what he does quite well. But like he's a comedic actor, this over the top action hero now. And then Alan Rickman is this, you know, is this nuanced Shakespearean actor. And it's just like that shouldn't work. But because they're opposite types of performers, it works perfectly because they're opposite types of characters but that's definitely like that's one of those combos on paper where you're like that shouldn't work but it works great was this the first movie you ever saw alan rickman in i think it was the first movie alan rickman was in. yeah i, I think it was his alan first movie rickman. yeah he had been a uh, he's a he was a famous stage actor already um and then the next movie i saw him in was robin hood prince of thieves yeah <laughs> with kevin costner which has yeah, a two sort years of later a, yeah yeah which has sort of a similar dynamic of him being the villain and and kevin costner being the hero and alan rickman out outperforms you know he steals the show in that one as well mm-hmm. um, dogma was the first film i saw him in <laughs> that was a little down the line, but yeah, it's also very good. Yeah, man, yeah, Alan Rickman is just—he's so—he's so marvelous, and and yeah, the character is provides like a new template. I think you could draw a straight line from Hans Gruber all the way to uh, Christopher Nolan's Joker. Like I think you could draw a straight line, like right from there down that path. The difference, though, I think with Hans Gruber is one of the things that John McTiernan said when he took the project on, he didn't like a lot of the script because he thought it was too mean and he wanted to soften the edges a little bit. And one of the ways he did that was making the villains, well, first of all, changing them because they were actually terrorists in the original script and in the novel that the script was based on. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, what was it called? Uh, nothing lasts forever. Uh, nothing lasts forever. Yeah, by Roderick Thorpe. Uh, Roderick Thorpe. So, and yeah, funny story too with that because the original that was the that that book was a sequel to the book The Detective that Roderick yep. Thorpe wrote, and they made a movie of that in 1968 starring Frank Sinatra. And contractually, they had to they had to offer the role of John McClane to Frank Sinatra before <laughs> yeah. before they could they could make this movie. Uh, so, um, but one of the but so they changed them from being terrorists to being 
uh, criminals like after money. Another thing they did was they made Hans Gruber a little more sympathetic. Like he he actually shows some empathy towards the hostages at certain points, and he, like he's not just arbitrarily cruel. Like he, you know, it's like he'll let them say, yeah, okay, I've like take the take them to the bathroom in groups, like get them some food, like you know all this stuff. So it's just he's a way he's so much more interesting, especially compared to his ilk at the time, which were so cartoonish for the most part. Yeah, uh, evil for evil's just, sake, and and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just I'm gonna be mean because I can, and yeah, 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 yeah. Like he's so much more believable. And just way more interesting and and thus, you know, helps to make him become that much better of a foil for John McClane because they both have that kind of grounded, well-rounded character to them. And it's just like the way that they bounce up against each other is just so phenomenal. Who are some other your guys' favorite 80s villains? Uh, Darth Vader was pretty good. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's decent. <laughs> 80s villains. Uh, Rostov from Invasion USA. I'm just going to go right straight to that one. <laughs> Rostov. Uh, oh, Rostov gets killed by a bazooka. Uh, I don't know if you know that. He gets shot out a window by a bazooka at the end of that movie. Sorry for the spoilers, everyone, but it's amazing. Everything about that movie is amazing. The Russians invade the United States and they go around into like suburban neighborhoods with tanks and just start shooting at houses because that's. That's strategic. It's great. Oh, that's the that's the Chuck uh, Chuck Norris, yeah. Chuck Norris movie, yeah. <laughs> du- okay. He's got like the dueling Uzis that he's got. Right, that he, that, right, like, right, oh, right, 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 yeah. right. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, I'm shocked you had to look that up, my friend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's I I wasn't like a huge action, action movie guy. I was a pretty big action guy in, in the '80s, and um, I love Belloc from Raiders of Lost Ark. But, oh, I also, sure. but I also love um, the uh, Joss Auckland's performance in Lethal Weapon 2, which was late 80s, 89. Hmm. Um, but, like, talk about villainous, you know, like, I mean, these racist, bigoted a-holes that just, like, and they can get away with anything because they got the diplomatic immunity. Like, that movie mm-hmm. is pretty great. That is uh, a pretty good movie, yeah. Uh, and, he, and he just, like, and again, like, he's not a physically imposing guy but he's just he's just so swarmy and and you know that i just i mean you just love to hate him like he's, he's like this perfect it was like i felt like at that point they were like oh there are other types of villains we can do that are always villainous other than nazis like <laughs> yeah <laughs> racist a-holes those are villains that we can that we can do all the time and people will root for that did, I like you, the, did you have any tom yeah, I think I'm getting the name right. Jonathan Kreese from Karate Kid. He was probably my favorite villain. Did oh, you guys watch Karate Kid? Uh, yes. The head of Cobra Kai? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not really an action movie, but uh, definitely a villain. Yeah, kind of. Gozer. <laughs> Gozer was awesome. Yeah, Gozer's good. I, William Atherton is great in, in, in this and Die Hard 2 and in Ghostbusters. Nice. Although someone was like pointing out recently... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's the EPA guy in Ghostbusters, and he's he's the reporter in Die Hard One and Two. 
Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then someone pointed out recently, it's just like, so the villain is the guy from the Environmental Protection Agency who's trying to keep a nuclear bomb from going off in Lower Manhattan. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, all right. Well, we could reexamine that. <laughs> <laughs> we could, or we could not. We could just let it go. Or not. Yeah. Uh, I also like, I, I was, you know, I love Burke in Aliens. Oh, I think yeah, Burke is classic, classic corporate villain. Ageless. Like you'll you'll never run out of, of of venues for that kind of villain. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question, though. Uh, write in, uh, tweet <laughs> at us with your your favorite eighties villains. Oh yes, I understand. I understand that you're a fucking wacko that likes to play kids' games. That's what I understand. So let's talk about the supporting cast. McLean is surrounded by other characters. Who are they? Who works? And who is forgettable? Uh. Well, you know, I think it starts and ends with Reginald Vell Johnson. Uh, totally. I think he really is, like, really pretty pretty awesome uh, buddy for, for John McClane. Just having another cop who, like, they have that, that common experience together and someone who will listen to him because no one is listening to John McClane except for... Reginald Vell Johnson's character in this movie. Is this movie what got him cast as a cop in Family Matters as well? I believe so. Yeah. I believe so. It's like so. the same character. It basically is. I think yeah. I think it canonically you could make the case that it is the same character. Uh, well, I don't know if he ever shot a kid in the, the TV show. I don't know if they ever alluded <laughs> to that. Just moved to Chicago and didn't talk yeah, about that time in his life. the whole thing. <laughs> Uh, there's a there's a there's a darkness to to that show clearly <laughs> uh, underlying every episode it's always about the fact that he shot a kid it's, yeah, it's subtext in. that's yeah. always it's there, it's in there if you look it's there yeah well actually that's something uh what's his name gleason the guy who played the Paul deputy uh, dwayne t yeah, robinson yeah, yeah yes yes he plays the and actually that's something i remember specifically from the roger and ebert from the at the movies review when this came out that was Roger Ebert's specific major criticism of this movie was that the police in charge were so obstinately stupid that it pulled him out of the story. They were like, not only were they making mistakes, it's like they were consistently doing the opposite of the right thing in, at every turn. And But his guys were like, covered in glass. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it's like I know it's hard to imagine a, a police department making errors. Um, I've never heard of anything I, like that. <laughs> no, but it's it's it is something that when I the when I first saw it, like the first couple of viewings, I had that review in mind, and I was just like, yeah, okay. But it's the kind of thing that bothered me less and less. The more the more that I watched it, it was just like it. Just, it more felt like. I don't know. It was John McClane against the world. Because that's one of the f- defining things, too, is about the Die Hard franchise is middle management are obstinate morons in every walk of life. The people at the top are uh, usually, uh, they're a little more competent, but probably corrupt. And then it's the guys, the working class at the bottom that actually get things done. So that 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 I appreciate. Um. I think Alexander Gudinoff, uh it's Hans, right? No, no. Wait, he's Carl. Who's the, the long? Yeah, Carl. Yeah. Uh, he's awesome. He died, like, very soon after this. He died at, like, 45. 
Um, but he's great like that, that kind of uh, the, the vengeance for his brother uh, angle is really great. Uh, Bonnie Bedelia is awesome. Uh, Robert Davi is the, the, the FBI agent. The two FBI agents are great. I love the line, the scene when they're flying around in the, in the a building in the helicopter. And he's just like, ah, just like Saigon, 1968. <laughs> and the guy was just like, I was in nursery school, dickhead. <laughs> like, whatever it is. It's so great. I love that moment. But um, yeah, I think this movie is full of great characters. Yeah, you know, again, agreed. Um, I don't, I don't know that we get into like really new, uh, like, like Skid and I don't always take like opposing positions. So I wind up just kind of taking what he goes and see if I can extend it a little further. But you know, everything that he just said about the the cast, certainly in the first one. But what's kind of interesting? So I watched these films with my friend, uh, with my friend Todd, and we noticed this like this like John McClane black friend trend that starts with Reginald Vell Johnson and like Skid was talking about this movie being a turning point. And Argyle too. And Argyle. Uh, yeah. And then in the in the second one you've got Barnes, the 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 airport traffic control guy. And then obviously Zeus, played by Samuel L. Jackson and in the third one, and then the and then you know, the friend of a of a different uh of a you know the, there are no there are no black people by the end of of the franchise like there are none in the in the last one I don't think there's that's a true. single person of color in the, in the thing <laughs> and it's not like it's not like an affirmative action thing but Reginald Bill Johnson as Powell was a turning point in supporting supporting characters that are you know sort of the friends of the good guy or that they kind of know the good guy and then that's a real role. Whereas in the Schwarzenegger and the Stallone type movies that we were talking about earlier, the the supporting cast role is somebody to talk up your hero. So um, expertly played by Richard Crenna in First Blood, Rambo, and Rambo Three. <laughs> yes, <laughs> where all he does is go into like the police that are hunting him and talk about how you send in two hundred men against against Rambo, you better not forget one thing. And the sheriff's like, what's that? He's like, a good supply of body bags. That's like his whole <laughs> his whole purpose in all those movies. In Die Hard or in Rambo three, he is he's caught by the Russians, because you gotta fight Russians and all these things. Uh and he's like hung from a hook and he's just talking shit the whole time about how awesome Rambo is for the whole movie. And, and he's like getting under the, the, the Russian colonel's skin. He's like, who do you think he is? God. Uh, such a great setup for Krenna to be yeah, like, yeah. no, God would have mercy. He won't. <laughs> and then like cut. Cause that guy's done. There's no comeback to that. Anyway, my point <laughs> is Krenna and, and, and all of the roles that are like that, none of them are real roles they're just there to like talk smack basically um whereas al powell is there to actually be a part of the film he's not just there for exposition he's not just there he's he's there because they form a relationship and he's mm -hmm. the one guy like skid was saying he's the one guy that starts to trust mclean because he is listening and he is starting to put together, I think he's I think he's a badge. I don't know if he's one of ours, but I think he's a badge. And he's the one that's like paying attention. And he hasn't he has an active role in it. And that's that type of character diminishes as we go along. You know, Barnes and two is similar. He's the one that starts 
to listen. And he's the one that starts to, as cocky and annoying as McLean is in Die Hard 2, Barnes is the one that starts to listen. And so there is, there's a, you know, it's a lesser version of that dynamic, but it's still there. And then in Die Hard 3, it's, it's totally different because Zeus is like full on on the adventure with him. So that's a different dynamic, I think. But again, those two guys are talking to one another, you know, they're, you know, they've got some, some conversations about race. They've got some, you know, they're still active characters as much as that movie has any actual characters in it. And then that role is just gone. Like, like it, it's just like the franchise just sort of strips things away from itself that, that sort of defined it or it defined um, as it goes along until you get to that final one, there is basically no supporting cast. I mean, his son is in that whole movie, but he's got like four lines of dialogue. Um, and, and it's just, it's just, it just gets stripped away. And, and to come from, from a movie like Die Hard that is so rich with great acting and great character actors and great parts, even little ones, even Theo is kind of like a great, uh, Part. Like he's like the yeah. sports fan, and then like you know, like talking about going through the time locks. Like he's he really makes something out of these like little little roles, Argyle too, and they just get more and more stripped out. As and that's just that's just what this whole franchise does. Is it just strips things out that people like about it as it goes along until there's nothing left, and a good day to die hard mm-hmm. is not recognizable in the least. Like they don't talk like. His wife's not in it. His son mm-hmm. is in it, but like his son's a superhero apparently. So, right. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, 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 they just get further and further away. I think from what, from what made the original great, which is just makes me sad when I think about it. I was kind of shocked that I, I think Kevin Smith did a really good job acting. I like Kevin Smith a lot, but I, I don't know him, him as an actor unless he's like he's normally silent in his movies. I thought that character was written for him though too. What do you guys think of Warlock in Part Four? Yeah, I, I was I for some I, I don't know I I can't explain why, but for some reason we just hated Kevin Smith for a while, <laughs> and it's not you fair. Too? Like you and Andy did. Well, I, we. I don't think I did. Of, I don't remember. I don't think Annie was. <laughs> you were. I don't think you were there. There was a time where a bunch of us like drove down to the Philly Comic Con, and uh, we saw Kevin Smith like standing on the street, and we just like laid into him like in the car. Oh, you're like, evil for no that's, reason. That's like, not I nice. don't know why. I don't know why we did it, and we were just like the whole way back, and like uh, one of our friends laid out the most brutal insult that I cannot repeat uh, that I've on that I've ever heard in my life. And I don't know why it's just like, he's great. Like I like his movies. Like I really don't know. I don't know why we had this vitriol towards him. I think it was kind of, it was kind of in the air a little bit. I don't know what it was, but, but yeah, he was great. Like he was, he was awesome in this. Uh, yeah. He did a really good acting job. Like as a character, I think it was, Th- this was like that was kind of his moment for that kind of thing and uh yeah i it, he was he was awesome and I, I liked his movies i'm sorry i was ever thought mean things about him he's great 
Yeah. Or, I, did I, you I, yell I, things at him from the car? No, we had the windows. Oh, were rolled sorry. Up that's what I thought you were. I thought you guys were no, like no, yelling. No, no, no. I thought you were like yelling at him. All right. No, we just happened to see him on the street, and we're just like, man, fuck that guy, and we just started like in the car with the windows rolled up. We're just like, yeah, with. I, I don't know. I can't explain I, it. I don't understand. I'm, I'm glad we provided you with this opportunity to make a public apology to Kevin Smith. <laughs> I am. I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. I think probably, all of us feel bad. It's probably been bothering him that he didn't <laughs> know sure. that you were insulting him <laughs> in a car. Sure. I, if it happened today, I would have rolled down the window and said, hey, you're great. Good job at everything. Awesome. <laughs> I would have done that instead of saying the horrible things that we ended up saying. <laughs> I liked I liked him in that, and 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 I'll give the fourth film some credit for also having Timothy Oliphant and Maggie Q, who again made more out of those roles than probably those roles were written for. Like Timothy Oliphant is just, I mean, that guy's just always cool. Um, Love him, and he was he was good in that. Um, and you know Maggie Q, I think was kind of underutilized in that film, but she was still she was still cool. And it's Mary Elizabeth Winstead, right? Is that her name? Yes, was, she's Love she's her too. really good. Um, you know, you kind of wish that she was in you know in these things a little bit uh, more, but she's she's quite a strong actress, I think. And I've liked her in a lot of other things. Um, most recently, she was in Scott a pretty, Pilgrim. Yeah, she's in Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. And she was in a movie called Gemini Man with Will Smith like two oh. years ago, maybe. Oh, That's wow. That's pretty good. Okay. Um, I, was, I, didn't, I didn't really go in with any expectations of it. I didn't know she was in it, and she's, she's quite good in it. She just kind of brings a believability to whatever role she's in, which, again, I think harkens back to what made that first film so, so good. So when you have Timothy Oliphant and, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead in the movie that is very much over the top. I mean, Live Free or Die Hard is ridiculously over the top. He fights a freaking Harrier jet. But when they're on screen, it becomes more believable, right? And so, so you know, that one had, like, showed some promise of, like, it, like people, some people involved in that movie seem to remember what Die Hard was about and then then that's the last one. Then that's there's not there's nothing left in a good day to die hard that I can point to and be like, that's a shadow of no, there's nothing after that. But yeah, live free or die hard is is sort of um I feel like it's an add-on. I feel like it's like the the bonus episode that didn't really need to be released, but like they made it anyway, so they just gave it to us. Um mm-hmm. and it's kind of inoffensive, I guess, in a way, but like a good day to die hard made me angry. <laughs> on multiple levels. <laughs> yippee ki motherfucker! Thanks for listening to Franchise Fan Guys, Die Hard, Episode 204. Please write a review and give a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Intro music by Tom Breifogel and John Harvey. To connect, visit FranchiseFanGuys.com, at FranchiseFanGuys on Instagram, and at GuysFranchise on Twitter. Franchise fan guys.